As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football League show. Sunderland return to the championship as the Black Cats purr at Wembley to stop Wickham's wandering. We'll look ahead to the other two finals. Will it be the Stags or the Valiants moving up from League Two? And will the Terriers make it through the forest to return to the top flight? All those questions and more posed, some answered in this Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Welcome in then, listener. It's TFLS on a Monday. We're looking back and looking forward. It's all about the playoffs today. Joining me, Matt Davis-Adams, are Adrian Clark. Hello. And Sam Parkins back with us too. Hi, Matt. Hello. Uh, let's get straight to it. We're going to start today with that League One playoff final at Wembley. After four seasons in League One, Sunderland will be back in the Championship come August. The Black Cats saw off the chair boys in the playoff final on Saturday, earning a 2-0 win against Wickham Wanderers. Uh, Sam, you were there and on comms for quests. Initially, I thought mm, this was a little bit one-sided, but but on reflection and, and watching it back, Wickham had some really good chances in the game too, albeit not as many as Sunderland. Yeah, they had a, they had a few. The big moment was Sam Vokes' his, his opportunity second half, which came from one of the few errors by a Sunderland player in, in the game. Bailey Wright just misjudged it. Patterson made a good save at the, the feet of Vokes. I just thought they didn't really supply Sam Vokes. Got in some great positions. Wickham Wanderers in the um, late stages of the first half, second half, mainly down the right. I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll come on to to why that was, but 
Yeah, Jason McCarthy, to name one, just his, his lack of final ball, I thought was really evident um, in, in the game. And yeah, across the piece, I'm looking at the team sheet now, to be honest. And yeah, across the 90 minutes, I can't really pick out anyone for, from, from Wickham who was kind of a seven, eight out of 10. Maybe Anthony Stewart, maybe Joe Jacobson. And across the board for Sunderland, that was a really good performance under that pressure. I thought they were by far the better side deserved their victory and just didn't really happen for for Wickham on the day. And um, yeah, Alex Neal definitely got his team right, got his tactics right and deserved victors. Man of the match, wasn't he, Alex Neal, Clarky? That that one change that he made, bringing Elliot Embleton in, paid off 12 minutes into the game. Yeah, yeah, it was a good day for him. It's been a good spell for him, hasn't it, really? Just one defeat since he took over. So yeah, no, he, he had an excellent final. It was a bold call, wasn't it? Because... They were, they were good, really, across the two legs against Sheffield Wednesday. It might not have been the most thrilling of playoff semi-finals, but they were tactically sound. So to change that for the final were, was quite adventurous of him. He did say, didn't he? I don't know if you caught this. He said that he watched back the two games against Wickham from the regular season. And he said Elliot Embleton was unbelievable in both the games. And he, he just took the viewpoint that, that certain players like playing against certain opposition or, or are well suited to hurt them. And and it worked well. I think what what happened here was um, Wickham's fullbacks like to sort of man mark. They like to get really close to the to the wingers. And, and Embleton's position in, just sort of on the left coming in field, just asked big questions of Wickham. They weren't really sure how to deal with him. And we saw that for the goal. A little bit of hesitation there and, and away he went. And uh, yeah, it was, it was an excellent... Excellent team that that Neil put out, and I, I concur with Sam. Very deserved winners under huge pressure. Sunderland, you know, all those fans turned out. The weight of expectation, the need to go up, was massive. But but the players performed with with real confidence, and I do give Alex Neil the credit for that because he gave them the platform. He's uh, matured them from a tactical perspective in the few weeks that he's been there. And uh, yeah, they they cruised it really. Just on the Embleton and the, the tactical setup, me and Paul Walker, the commentator, had that moment, obviously, when we got the team sheet. Didn't really know how they were going to be setting up Sunderland. Was it going to be a, a back three, a back four? And then the early stages of the game, he was so central, mm. Embleton, as Clarkey said, and, and that actually led to, to the goal. So... I think that actually enabled Wickham to get loads of joy down their right-hand side because essentially they weren't playing with anyone wide. And therefore, in the first half, McCleary and McCarthy had loads of the ball. So it was kind of risk and reward. And of course, you commend Alex Neil for that change and he got the goal, but it didn't come with its flaws in that in that first half. But it was a massive decision because it was the big discussion point. No Jack Clark. Elliot Emberton in from the off. How's that going to shape up? And obviously it had a, a major factor on the game, but it wasn't with its its hairy moments, I suppose, in the in the first half. But he's different from, you know, Pritchard and Roberts are those orthodox number tens, getting pockets, tricky. Embleton's more of a box to box. He's a bit of a a ball carrier, very determined type. And yeah, he had a he had a really good game and it was a massive call from from Alex Neal when he got it right. Pritchard too, right, Clarkie, both assists. Bold to go with two number 10s in a team, but, but again, another move that paid off from Alex Neal. Definitely, yeah. Pritchard is a technician, isn't he? You always get the feeling he, he could be a big game player. 
and he's really thrived, hasn't he, since since Alex Neal took charge. Yeah, I, th- I think, again, it, it boils down to the fact that because he set them up uh, so well organised, such sort of defensive discipline, they've improved so much without the ball from, from the back into midfield that you don't need Alex Pritchard to be back at left back or back at right back or, de- you know, deep inside his half too often. You can have him getting into those positions where he will affect the game and, and, and that's that's how they've used him. And he's yeah, obviously current form gave him the confidence to really revel on that on that big stage. Yeah, he was he was class, wasn't he? Patrick Roberts was pretty good again as he was across the semi finals. So yeah, it was outstanding from Sunderland. Uh, Dennis Sirkin, a little lucky to stay on the pitch, Sam. Bit bit of a nasty tackle after he'd already been booked. I didn't think so. No, I, don't. I thought the first one was a yellow. I thought that there was minimal contact on the, the second one. I think because of the uh, the close proximity between the two challenges, the Wickham players appealed. But no, I thought McCleary almost anticipated the challenge and then went down a fraction late. So that would have been incredibly harsh. Yeah, on 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 the game, I think I think that Wickham didn't do what they normally do well enough. Their whole the premise really of Wickham's style of play and their success is that they're, they're a nightmare to play against, that you just, yeah, that they make it the type of match that, that they want it to be rather than than, than let it flow. And, and they, I don't know if it was stage fright, fatigue, I I'm really not sure what it was, but they were just a yard, maybe two yards off. And we saw that, didn't we? I mean, even with the goal, the two goals actually, Tafazoli backing off for the first goal, the midfield left wide open from that sort of attack. That's not like Wickham. Uh, you can obviously look at the keeper, but I think Tafizoli was a bit caught up in the headlights early on in the game. And then Stewart, wasn't it, for the second goal? Normally Wickham's players are like on on attackers, not giving them a sniff, but he's he's about two yards away and that, that was too much really to allow to Stewart. So they, I think there'll be regrets from Wickham's end, whether it was they got Wembley sort of jelly legs or not. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but they didn't produce the type of tactical performance that that they can. We'll talk more Wickham shortly, but very pleased to say joining us now to talk Championship Black Cats is our friend and Sunderland keeper coach David Priest. David, talk us through the experience of Saturday. Had you actually been on the Wembley turf before? No, I think the the last time I was at Wembley to watch Coldplay, that's as as close as I've got to it. (laughs) But um, yeah, just from start to finish, it really, uh, it really couldn't have gone any better. I think the the biggest fear when you you go into games like this, and it was, certainly was one of mine when we when we had the two games against Sheffield Wednesday, was that you know how the players would handle it. And I think everyone saw that over the course of those three games, were probably the best three performances of, of the season so far. And a lot of that was down to how the players handled the occasion and sort of just playing the game rather than the, the all the hullabaloo around it. Massive credit goes to them for for the way that they, they handle themselves and the way they allowed allow themselves to perform. I guess that level of control as well comes from the gaffer too, doesn't it? Is it there's a big read-up on The Athletic today profiling Alex Neal. It's called Alex Neal, Sunderland's quiet, low-key, no-bullshit saviour. Is that an accurate summation of your boss? I'd say so. Very much a case of um, he does what it says on the tin. It's um, yeah, it's you know, it's, it's been a bit of a turbulent season, sort of for for a lot of us at the club, and I think you've just got to adapt to to what happens. We spoke about before about changing manager, and you know, there can be some insecurities come around with that. 
But with Alex coming in, he's been very inclusive with everybody. You know, I think coming in after the transfer window helps a lot for people to get focused. You know, you've got this group of players, you've got this staff, this is how you've got to work, you've got this to work with. And uh, and he's just gone on with it. And um, and the biggest thing for me is, is how he's approached each game individually. You know, there's been no real overlap of the games that we've we've played so far. Um, every game sort of been boxed away very quickly and we moved on to the next one and sort of analysed the, the life out of each each opponent. And uh, it's bore fruit, obviously. Yeah, Preci, congratulations, mate. Fantastic performance, I thought, at the weekend. Um, a lot has been made about the, the platform, the defensive platform that Sunderland have, have built and created since Neil came in. What's the work that goes on behind the scenes in reality? What What is the, the secret to that? Is it is it hours on the training ground going through shape or is it, you know, classroom stuff? Just just give us a feel for, for the level of preparation that, that, that he and you guys, the rest of the staff, put in. Yeah, I, I mean, I think a lot of it's around, um, around like I said before, about the, the approach to each game individually. Unless you've got the very top players uh, like Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola have got, you're almost trying to, you, you try to accentuate what you're good at and try and hide what you're not good at. And, and if you can do the, those both parts, then you've got a great chance. And I think the gaffer, as soon as he came in, he, the first thing he's then identified is that we conceded far too many goals. We played some great stuff at times over the course of the season before he came in. But we were, uh, that did leave us very open at times. And certainly from the first couple of games, he could see exactly what the problems were. And first and foremost, we were leaving ourselves open when we when we were had the ball. So when we were attacking was probably when the other teams were the, the most dangerous. Uh, and there was a big focus went into that to making sure that we n- not not go ultra defensive so we, we make ourselves um, too hard to, to attack but just a case of if we've got the ball that we keep it a st- uh, sustained attacks and and so the more we we're, we're around their box and the more we can lock them in obviously the less chance they have of hurting us as well. So it's, it, it really was a case. I know, I know it looks like that from the outside, maybe it's, we've gone a little bit more defensive, but his, his approach really is that, you know, attacks the best form of defence. And, um, and like, again, it's, it's both fruit for us. Back to Saturday, what about those Sunderland supporters? I mean, absolutely tremendous. I'm, I'm sure you could say it added another layer of pressure, but the support was so good. I mean, a word on that. And also, were you tempted to, to head off to Trafalgar Square on Friday night? It was absolutely incredible. Honestly, these people, man, they're just... Yeah, I mean, I, I know what they're like. I, I was born here and I've experienced before in the past, but it was like a whole different level. I, I missed out... While I was playing on the sort of Premier League years with um, with, with Kevin Phillips and um, and Roy Keane, that that sort of era, I didn't watch a lot of the games then. Didn't didn't manage to get a lot of the games because of my own career. But certainly, it, it certainly it really reminded me of being back in Rock Park. Those the, the atmospheres that we used to create there, and there's probably half as many people inside Rock Park, uh, less than half than what was in in Wembley on Saturday. But they still managed to create that same sort of atmosphere that you've got in a small stadium like Rotter Park in a cavernous place like Wembley. And um, we saw it all Friday night, you know, sat at the hotel and um, just after dinner, we, you know, you're getting sent all the pictures through of, of, of Trafalgar Square and 
you are tempted just to just jump, jump in the taxi and get yourself down there, like you know. But I think that's what's most pleasing about it all. And the, and the all the players recognise this. I mean, we've got Lyndon Gooch, who's you know, he's American, born on the west coast of uh, of America. He's been here for 10, 15 years on Sunland, and he just gets it as well. He, you know, he, he's part of he, he's he is a Mackham for to all intents and purposes, and people like him recognise how much it means to the people and just seeing and reading on Twitter and social media about how people think it's the best day they've ever had as a Sun fan. That means just as much as, as the promotion itself. Uh, congratulations, Preci. Obviously saw you by the tunnel with your warm can of Budweiser, keeping it real. Um, big question though. How was the party afterwards? And did you, I'm going on social media here, what I've witnessed, did you make it to the West End nightclub? If so, what did you think of the sparklers in the champagne? <laughs> well, do you know what? I'm, I'm not. I'm old now. I'm, I'm well past that. But I still don't think the place we end up on there uh, on Saturday night would have been my cup of tea twenty years ago, to be honest with you. But you know what? It, it didn't matter where we were. We went, went back to the hotel afterwards. All the staff from the club were there. All the families were there. And yeah, we did manage to to make it on elsewhere later on. But it was. It didn't matter where we were. It didn't matter the surroundings, who who else was there. The most important people were there, all the players, all the staff. And it, it was almost like we're just in our little bubble, just celebrating together. Uh, and it, it's brilliant just to share those sort of experiences with such a great group of lads. You know, it's easy to say that afterwards and you caught them not in the euphoria. But as characters and personalities go, you know, you couldn't get any better than the group we've got at the moment. And um, yeah, it's just brilliant to share it with them. Finally, David, was that the best moment of your career on Saturday? I know you played and everybody always says you can't beat playing, but I mean, to get promoted at Wembley with your boyhood club's got to be right up there, surely. By far, by far, it exceeded by far anything that I'd ever done as a player as well. It was such a strange experience because I thought it would be so overwhelming and that I couldn't believe it and it just everything just felt right. And I managed to keep together on the pitch. I almost broke a couple of times got back in the dressing room where the coach's room was for my missus and then I just, I went. I must have spent a good five minutes just just uh, breaking down the phone. I didn't say a word, just just getting it all out. And I'm glad I did because it allowed us to, to celebrate like I did on Saturday night. And then, of course, the other the half comes with it as well, didn't it? Yesterday morning, I was an absolute wreck. I know that. Don't expect it any other way, particularly if you're drinking Budweiser all night. Goodness me. Uh, we soon got the champion, don't worry about that. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, listen, thank you so much for joining us and um, previewing the final and then reviewing it too. We're really pleased for you and, and hopefully we'll speak again next season when you're in the championship. Yeah, cheers. Thanks a lot for that. David Priest there. On Wickham then, Adrian, Gareth Ainsworth, been linked with QPR. He said after the game, he'll stay at Wickham as long as they want him to, which, I mean, I guess is is as long as he wants, essentially, given what he's done there. They they well-placed it to challenge again next season. Obviously, no Akin Fenwa, but he was kind of a bit part player anyway. You wouldn't imagine that their squad's going to be raided over the summer? No, I think they're very well-placed to, to go again. Yeah, I remember him speaking when they qualified for the playoffs and he was talking enthusiastically about the points tally and how impressed he was with it. 
and that he doesn't want to make big changes, even if they, they, they don't go up. He thinks this group is capable of at least matching, potentially exceeding their points tally next season. So, yeah, I don't think there'll be major changes at, at Adams Park unless another team really caught him and, 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 and tempted him with a, an offer, I guess. And then, and then you do worry about Wickham and, and what might happen moving forwards. But, yeah, I think it'll be more of the same. And I think there'll be, yeah, still a nightmare to play against next season in League One. Finally on this game, Sam, Adebayo Akin Fenwa, the kind of narrative around the end of the game was, well, no fairy tale finish for Akin Fenwa. And I'm thinking, he's 40 years old in his last games at Wembley. That's quite a fairy tale in and of itself, no? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Do, do you know what? Commentating on the game, I was really surprised he came on when he did. I think he came on with about 20 minutes to go. Yeah. And not only that, but he put Hanlon on uh, at that point as, as well. Uh, Lewis Wing as well. I mean, he had all his offensive um, options on there, apart from maybe David Wheeler, who I was disappointed, you know, as a former teammate of mine, didn't get on. But he went for it early, uh, Gareth Ainsworth. So credit credit to him. And for about, what, it was probably only th- three, four minutes, they rocked a little bit. Sunderland, they got balls into Akin Fenway. He didn't necessarily get hold of them, but his sheer presence did cause a little bit of panic but no I mean he's gone on he's gone on four or five years longer than I anticipated him going on but again he's one of these players Akin Fenwa who I played against latterly in my career if you get the right type of balls into him it is physically impossible to get the ball off him so it just gets you up the pitch brings people in his touch is better than people would give him credit for very similar to someone like Peter Crouch different frames of course but the same outcome you get it into his chest. Centre half just can't get round you, so they've got to let you have the ball. So, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure he's not too disappointed. He will be, you know, in the short term. But a great way to go out, and yeah, I don't imagine we're going to see him possibly sticking to football. I think um, you know he's probably going to be involved in bits of other things, um, probably on the television. I would say. Yeah, Bayo, if you're listening, don't sign a WWE contract without consulting me first. It is a political <laughs> minefield, that place. And He'd beat Grant Holt, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so that was the League One playoff final. Many congratulations to Sunderland. Commiserations to Wickham. We'll see you in the third tier again next season. All right, this is our only show this week, which means we've got a couple more playoff finals to preview. And we'll do that next. Place your bets. Welcome to Pep Roulette. Charlotte, feeling confident today, me. And your selection? Just start up front. Blue number nine and 26. Uh, 17 as well, just behind the front two. Like. Excellent. Good luck. Blue number seven. Unlucky, sir. Oh, Sterling, he started last week. Predicting Pep's lineups is hard, but fortunately, we've made our bet builder easy. Simply choose a top pre built bet builder, click add to bet slip, select your stake, and done. Paddy Power. Online exclusive. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Sunday at 4.30, the Championship playoff final between Nottingham Forest and Huddersfield Town goes down at Wembley. Two-time European champs haven't been in the top flight since 1999 and haven't played at Wembley for 30 years, whilst Town are looking to return to the Premier League after a three-year absence via the same method from which they gained promotion 
back in 2017. Uh, as it should be, Sam, it's a tough one to call. There's only a point between them, two points rather, between them at the end of the regular season. Traded away wins. Forrest knocked Huddersfield out of the cup in the fifth round. Uh, how do you call it though? I mean, the, it, it's going to be decided on fine margins, you might say. Yeah, it's incredibly difficult, this. There's not a great deal between the, the, the two sides. It's great that we've got the two form sides. I think over the last 12 games, they're, they're the best two teams in the division. Huddersfield have had an incredible run, I think, since the, the March international break. Uh, seven wins in, in nine. It's very difficult. I, I think Huddersfield might take a lead from... Uh, the Luton game, a couple of the other games latterly in the season and just sit off a little bit. Maybe just allow Forrest to, to, to have a bit more of the ball than maybe they're comfortable with doing so. And then they can counter through Sorba Thomas. Yeah, I think that's how I see it going with the two up front that Forrest um, invariably go with. Huddersfield normally play three centre-halves and I don't think they'll be particularly high. I think they'll want to cut off that space for Brendan Johnson, Jed Spence and uh, the striker who he goes with. And yeah, that, that that's the way I see Huddersfield setting up and it's probably going to be up to Forrest to, to, to find a way to break them down if they're going to have a bit more of the ball. And I'm not saying they can't do that, but that's not where they're at their best. But yeah, I just think you look at all the statistics, um, you know, both pretty similar, you know, in terms of, keeping hold of leads and, and coming back to, to win from losing deficits. Set pieces, Huddersfield, we, we know are really strong, but uh, Forest don't concede many in that regard. So uh, I don't see that maybe being as strong an avenue for, for Huddersfield as, as normal. So very, very difficult to call. Selection dilemmas for both, Clarkie. Thinking particularly about Huddersfield, Sorba Thomas has signed a new contract, uh, had to make do with coming off the bench in uh, both the semi-finals. Would you expect him to start here? And, and I guess the other one, Danny Ward back in training, does he get picked ahead of Jordan Rhodes, who obviously got the goal that got them to Wembley? I think so. Yeah, I think if they're both fit and available, Danny Ward starts and Sorba Thomas starts. Yeah, that's how I would see it. I think, yeah, it'll be a back three. I think it'd be a 3-4-2-1 for Huddersfield. They'll look to have the sort of extra man advantage in, in midfield. So, um, you know, outnumber Nottingham Forest there. Forest will go with the 3-4-1-2, as, as we know. And yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fascinating. Yeah, because Forest are at their best on the counters. We know that. And if Huddersfield do sit in and say, come on then, come and have a go at us, then then Forrest have got to come up with something new. I just think there's some great matchups all over the pitch, not least with the keepers, the two respective keepers. Excellent, aren't they? Uh, Nichols and, and Samba. So one of them could easily be the hero. I'm looking forward to seeing Toffolo against Spence. I think that's a, that's a really good matchup. Toffolo's ended the season brilliantly. And, and I was looking back at some of the quotes from Steve Cooper from the match where they lost at home to Huddersfield and the goal came from the left from Toffolo, I think, for, for Dwayne Holmes. And he said, we worked on it all week. We knew they've got great quality from that side. So I'm really annoyed that that's the that's how we conceded. So so that will be part of their thinking again, stopping Toffolo. Maybe Lewis O'Brien will, will, will sort of arc his runs out there to, to make two or two V1s on Spence, just to peg him back a little bit. That might come into their thinking. Um, lots of tactical sort of, yeah, jewels to look out for. By the way, in that game that Forrest lost, uh, they had 23 shots. So, 
you know that's that will give them them encouragement. They didn't play badly, I don't think, on on the day. So yeah, look, yeah, how Forest press will matter, won't it? I think that's Forest. Forest uh, are brilliant at counter attacking, but they're also good at, at pressing inside the opposition half. How good they do that in this game might might determine how they fare. I suspect so. Um, yeah, and Sam's right about set pieces. Forest are very good. Only only Fulham have let in fewer set piece goals than Forest. So you can't. You should back those three centre halves to deal with it. But yeah, you never know. Clarkie touched on it a little bit, but. I think Sorber Thomas, if he plays on the right-hand side up against Colback and McKenna, especially yeah. what happened in the, the the second leg, both Sheffield United's goals came down that side. That's probably as as slack of I, as I've seen McKenna with him, with and without the ball. He looked like a little bit of a weak link in that semi-final. So, and, and ultimately, it seems like the obvious thing to say, but Johnson for Forrest against Thomas for Huddersfield, I think... Sorba Thomas arguably over the first 10, 15 yards is incredibly sharp. Maybe Johnson over a, a larger distance, a longer distance. But I think whichever one of those is on it at, at the weekend, that could be the defining factor. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. I had to have my list of things to bring up. Colback, McInnes, possible weak link, question mark. Sheffield United definitely identified it. No no question about it. And they, and they made them suffer. And... Huddersfield are good down the wings, aren't they? They they put in excellent ammunition as well for Danny Ward. So they have to tighten up down that side. How do they do that? Is you know, it's, it's a big question mark. What who who slides across? Is it the midfielder that slides across, or is it or are they gonna ask a Brennan Johnson to to do more of a defensive job at, at times if he if he comes on that left hand side? I don't know. Will they will they be bold enough to leave two up front if it means Colback's going to get isolated up against potentially Sorba Thomas? So, yeah, I, the bookies have Forest down as overwhelming favourites here. You know, heavy odds on. Just don't see it that way. I'm afraid. Sorry, Matt. I'm probably. I'm, I'm sure you agree. I, I think this is a really close match to call. It's got to be the biggest nightmare in the EFL right now for any management team preparing to play against Huddersfield because you Mm. just haven't got a clue how they're going to line up Mm. and in Mm. game as well. I mean, Mm. I think the last five games of the the league season, he played five different shapes and (laughs) I saw a couple of them and you're trying to do your prep and you're trying to come up with something um, analytical before the game. But essentially, you you can't really make your mind up until 90 minutes Mm. have played out because he's throwing curveballs in all over the place. Yeah, stopping stopping John Russell as, as... was the store one of the stories of what Luton did in the semi? So maybe that's something they can do. That's if Russell plays. It wouldn't surprise you if he went with something else. You know, just just because it's Corbrand and he he likes to likes to mix things up. I was looking at the records of the teams against the top six this season across the season and the playoffs as a whole, and it is Huddersfield that have the better record: uh, one five draw and three lost four. Forest one three draw and three lost six. Um, but a few of those were pre-Cooper, it has to be said. So, yeah, if there is an edge to be found, it's Huddersfield in those sort of big match play situations have, have done pretty well so far this season. Forest, just have, from Forest's point of view, Matt, you, you have to just pretend it's an away game, don't you? I know it kind of is in a sense, but Forest have been probably more comfortable as an away team over the, over the course of the season. This is all making me feel rather ill. Um, must, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's get some predictions then. It sounds like it's going to be uh, Huddersfield in the Premier League next season from, from what I'm hearing here. Is that who you're going for, Sam? 
No, no, I, I think Forrest will win. And do I think Forrest will win? No. <laughs> I'd prefer Forrest to win. And I'm not going to make any excuse for this. And there'll be a narrative this week about all the people in the media, everyone wants Forrest to win. I grew up watching Forrest in the Premier League and playing in cups. And they've not been there for so long. Huddersfield had a go a few years ago. And listen, I love going to Huddersfield and I've got enormous respect for Corboran. Love Harry Toffolo. He's one of my favourite current players. Lovely bloke. But of course you want to see Forrest back there. And that's not because I've got you, Matt, and I've got two supporting Forest friends. Does that make any sense? They're both called Ed, which is weird in, in itself and both uh, live in London. But yeah, I, I think all the neutrals are going to want the romance of Forrest being in the Premier League. And we shouldn't feel bad about that. So that's the want. What, what, about, what about the logical part of your brain, Clarkie? It sounds like you think Forrest have got a fair bit to do. No, I just think it's even. I think Forrest, we haven't really talked about Forrest and you know the tools that they've got to dismantle anybody. So you have to respect that, and Huddersfield will. I think it'll be. I think there'll be one goal in it. it could be one nil. Could be two one. Could go to extra time. But I think Forrest have got the more match winners. I think Johnson and Keenan Davis and Sam Surridge could make the difference. We saw Sunderland, didn't we? Up against a team that, that really a Wickham team that obviously have weapons, but they they're better at disrupting the opposition, at nullifying them. And it was the talent that came through. It was the star names. I think that might happen here. I do. I think if if Huddersfield drop drop a couple of percent below their their usual style, then um, then Forest can make them pay. Yeah, I think you're going to win this one now. I'll go draw pens. Oh, God, no, not that again. <laughs> Although we do have Bree Sandler. And I'm with Sam. I make no apology for it either. I think Forrest, good luck to... If Huddersfield win, wish them the best of luck. Congratulations. It's an unbelievable achievement. But I think a better addition to the Premier League would be Nottingham Forest for colour, for, for tradition, you know, heritage, and actually for the way they attack the opposition. They really, you know, I, I think they'll be quite quite good to watch next season Nottingham Forest if they get into the top flight so yeah I'm, I'm supporting them too thank you we'll see what difference that makes Sunday at 4.30 looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24-7 US based live customer service from Discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you want to read more Football League content from the likes of Nancy Frostick, Paul Taylor, Phil Buckingham, Peter Rutzler, and more of the Athletic's best writers, you can do so by heading to theathletic.com forward slash league show and get yourself a subscription of just £1 a month for the next six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. 24 hours prior, the League 2 final will take place between Port Vale and Mansfield Town. We'll we'll talk about Port Vale first. Sam, you were on hand at Vale Park for the second leg of the semi against Swindon. Unfortunately, it was more about what happened in the post-match than what happened on the pitch here. Just give us an in-person perspective of of how that pitch invasion was to experience. I felt incredibly flat last Friday and it... It wasn't because Swindon had been knocked out necessarily. Yeah, it wasn't the, the the result that I would have would have wanted being a former player. But yeah, it was um, it was really awful to watch firsthand. And I don't know what's happening at the moment. I'll try and articulate it as best as I can. But I think I think the lead up to that game hadn't didn't help. I think there was a bit of animosity between the two sets of fans. The social media sparring who sold the most tickets, blah, blah, blah. So there was that kind of undercurrent. And then there was the McCurdy theatre. And I don't think that helped either. Obviously, he was the difference in the first game. And listen, Port Vale were going to play on that. They were going to intimidate. They came out in numbers. It was a very, very vociferous crowd. Absolutely no problem with that. But I think that, yeah, that was a little bit of a sideshow. And obviously there was a few things thrown at him and they just, he had such a poor game on the night. It was written that he was going to miss that penalty. And me and Matt Taylor were speaking off air. He, fans are going to go for him because there was that, that type of tension and that type of atmosphere and exactly how it, it played out. And, you know, I'd never sit here and finger point at Port Vale fans because every club in this country right now has, seems to have a, seems to have a problem. But I think it's probably driven a little bit by social media. Uh, and that inability to just go and support your team and then just say, do you know what? It wasn't our night rather than the finger pointing and, and, and all this. And I heard Darren Ambrose speaking about it last night on the radio and he spoke about Hillsborough, the big Crystal Palace game when I think they had to win to survive and there was a pitch invasion and he spoke about how unsafe he felt. I presume it was Wednesday fans that, you know, he felt unsafe from. And all this finger pointing came back at the Crystal Palace fans. If they hadn't come on, then... uh, And it just seems to be so much of that right now, rather than just taking responsibility for your own actions. And I come away from Thursday, honestly, just thinking, what has happened to this game? And and people are saying now, listening to this, I'll go and watch rugby or whatever. But, you know, I've I've been going to football matches for 35 years and I've seen pretty much everything I think there is to see in football. You know, skirmishes on and off the pitch, following, you know, teams abroad there's just something at the moment just celebrate you know your own team's successes rather than focusing on the opposition because the cameras picked up um very little i i would say there was understandably there were skirmishes and i would say every swindon player on that pitch and the ones that weren't even in the 18 and not even um stripped there were skirmishes you know across across the piece there so yeah, they're going to have to get a hold of it. And I think you have to channel your energy. We spoke about it last week. You have to channel the resources on protecting the players. Whether that means changing where they stand for the penalty shootouts, just getting security or police to funnel the players that have just been beaten off the pitch. It's sad that we've come to that, but that's got to be the 
the, the first thing they do and then stopping people encroaching onto the playing surface. And there has to be a technology there to have some kind of barrier if it's something that's tucked away and they can bring it up just before the last 10 minutes of a game or whatever. I think we've reached that stage now because, you know, players are in clear danger. Uh, let's move it on to the final then. Uh, Port Vale won one of their last four in the regular season. Stags won four of their last six, all told. That includes the playoffs. Does that give Mansfield a bit of an edge, Clarky, or does that not particularly matter coming into this I game? don't think it matters too much, to be honest. No, I think that two very evenly matched sides. I was I was quite impressed. I was impressed with Port Vale in the first half of that of that game against Swindon. Obviously had chances, quite a few chances, didn't they? Wilson missed a, missed an absolute sitter as well, didn't he? Um, they they looked a handful, but but Mansfield have got got good players up front. They showed the other side of their game, Mansfield, in the match I saw at, at Northampton, where they they dug in in a sort of four five one and. Yeah, showed great bravery, really, to to see the job through. So, yeah, Nigel Clough against Daryl Clark. Nigel Clough's got a bit more experienced. I think he showed real nous over those two legs against Northampton. Changed, did a bit of an Alex Neal. Changed one or two key players. Changed the winning side to adapt to the that semi final. And I think he'll do that for the final as well, Nigel Clough. So I, I give a slight edge to to Mansfield um, but it's going to be close you the same Sam thinking it's just Mansfield have they, have they got that bit more depth to their squad potentially like he talked about those options and changes you know we saw Matty Longstaff mm. not starting the, mm. the second leg you probably expect him to come back in but they do have options in, in pretty much every position maybe yeah I mean you look at the results this season you know Port Vale beat Mansfield 3-1 at home it was 1-1 at Field Mill, and by all accounts, Mansfield absolutely battered Port Vale on that day. I think Daryl Clark said as much. That was the uh, one of the toughest experience of the of the season, and they got away with a one-one. So I don't think maybe the scorelines completely reflect the 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 games as such. Again, I think Mansfield probably more of the ball um, in this. I think Port Vale. Yeah, we'll probably give up a little bit of possession, but they're powerful. We saw, as Clarkie said, the first half an hour, I've been there countless times. I saw Clarkie as when you cannot get out and the Mm. ball looks like a golf ball when it's coming into you. The (laughs) crowd were up. I mean, it's going to be difficult for Daryl Clark and Port Vale to replicate that at Wembley because of the bigger, well, you say a bigger pitch, Vale Park's a big pitch, but... The, the pressure, the occasion, you're not going to be able to play on the front foot in that manner. That was like just relentless and Swindon were caught in the headlights. So I was really impressed with them. I suppose up front, if they had a fit Proctor, mm. I think that, that does a lot really. We're talking about probably a little bit of a, a rookie coming in, Edmondson or Harrett, who played the other day and I thought did brilliantly. And I was surprised that Daryl Clark took him off too early. But in a general sense, I probably just see more threats in Mansfield's team. The set pieces, they score a lot. They do concede a lot, but Hawkins always good for a goal. McLaughlin, the left back, is 17 goal involvements. And then you've got Oates and, and Bowery. And I'm looking at Port Vale, um, Garrity and Wilson. They're the only real two that I think could get you a goal right now. So for that reason, I'll I'll go for Mansfield. And, and finally... Daryl Clark, yeah, inexperienced uh, in comparison to Nigel Clough, but two promotions, I think, with yeah. um, with Salisbury, 
certainly playoff campaigns and a successful one with um, with Bristol Rovers at Wembley. So that might may come into play. More big match experience in Mansfield's team, isn't there? Definitely, like McLaughlin's played in it, played in a lot of big games. Hawkins, O'Toole has been around. Perch, Quinn, Longstaff's been a Premier League player. Um, so yeah, you look around their side. Uh, Aikens, if he plays, as uh, he's, he's played in some big games. So yeah, if, if that's an advantage, then then Mansfield have it, don't they? It'd just be interesting to see whether they go back to their four four two diamond or whether they stick with this more of a sort of four three three that turns into a four five one Mansfield um, on the day. But Port Vale will test them, won't they? They'll 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 be direct. They'll 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 be really powerful and. They'll ask a lot of, of that Mansfield rearguard. On a personal note, I'm looking forward to seeing Worrell, the right wing back against McLaughlin, the left back for, for Mansfield, two ex-South End players, two guys that, yeah, were underappreciated potentially at Roots Hall. They were, they were excellent, I thought, down there. And it's good to see them still knocking around at League Two level and, and thriving. Four o'clock kickoff for that one. On Saturday, we'll react to it on Monday, of course. So that's what we think. What about Paddy Power? Let's bring in producer Abby. She can give us some odds on those playoff finals. Yes, Matt, it's the time of truth. It's truth-telling time. It's Paddy Power's odds. Good news, Forrest are the favourites. They are 21 to 20 to beat Huddersfield, who are 13 to 5 with a draw 21 to 10. However, we know it's going to be a nervy game and it looks like or there is at least a chance that it could go all the way to extra time and penalties. Unfortunately, Paddy Power have got odds for that. So if you expect either team to win it in extra time, that's 5-1, to one, or either team to win it on penalties, that's 4-1. to one. Things do look a little bit better, though, for Forrest when you go into the details on each one of those. Forrest are equally like it, likely to win it in extra time or in penalties. That's 17-2. to two. Huddersfield on pens is 9-1, to one, and Huddersfield in extra time is 12-1. to one. As for the Saturday show... That's the uh, Mansfield versus Port Vale event. Both teams are 13 to 8 to win that game, and the draw is 2 to 1. Paddy cannot separate these teams. And in fact, it's both teams are odds on to be promoted. Port Vale, though, the more likely. They are 4 to 5, with Mansfield 10 to 11. I say more likely, tight. It's tight between these two. So it looks like we're in for two very tight, very nervy, but very exciting games. Thanks, Abby. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Right then, before we go, our friend Nick Miller has a piece up on The Athletic about how to deal with nerves ahead of a big game. And of course, that brings to mind the big game on Sunday at which... I will be in attendance. So, so give me some tips. What, what what should I be doing? What do the pros do? I'll give you a little insight, Clarky. Uh, Tuesday last week, before the second leg of the Sheffield United tie, managed to wash two cars inside and out, over <laughs> the house and mow the lawn uh, during the course of the day, uh, for which my wife was incredibly grateful. Um, my step count was through the roof, but it didn't do anything to calm my nerves. So is, is it just <laughs> drinking from dawn? What, what can I do here? Yeah, I don't know. But if you drink too much, you get a bit over-emotional, can't you? So yeah, it's tough. I think on the lead up to the to the, to the game, yeah, distraction technique is is probably the best. I, I've always been quite relaxed about football. I've never been 
overly nervous. What I would do, I don't know. It sounds wrong. You probably might do this anyway. It, I'd probably have a little. I'd have a gamble on on. I'd have a jinx bet on the other team. I'd have Huddersfield to 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 go through to get promoted to the Premier League to cover the price of my ticket at least. So you knew that at least you had you had something to to soften the blow. Should should it all go a little bit pear shaped? That's that's what I'd do probably in your shoes. <laughs> but. It's up to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, Sam, of a kind of, well, it'll be nice to have a day out at Wembley approach because I think I got a bit too worked up last yeah. week and it shaved a couple of years off my life. So, so maybe, I don't know, surround myself with people who don't like football who can tell me that it's just a game. Yeah, I think there's something in that. I think, yeah, maybe Friday, distraction. So do, just do something with Hayden. Exercise so you can really enjoy your, your clear your head exercise maybe in the morning early so you can enjoy your beers as well you deserve your beers but then I would plan your day you know don't get out of Wembley Central and try and find a pub know where you're going for your pre-match um, refreshments maybe I know you're getting a late train back so maybe even book a little area or a little table somewhere back in central London so you've got you know, you've got a nice experience to look forward to and you're not going to be like stood like a sardine trying to get on the Bakerloo line after a penalty shootout defeat with a warm can. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> take some take some, some, some glory out of the day. And do you know what? Just be a little bit balanced. If it doesn't happen, you've had a brilliant season, I suppose. All right, I'll go for that. And of course, the key thing is not to buy any food or drink at Wembley Stadium yeah. um, because <laughs> I'm not in a position to remortgage my house at this juncture. Uh, right, we'll be back on Monday when we'll run down those two playoff finals. Um, that I might be through floods of tears, might be through tears of joy, might just be through calm acceptance that comes with age. Probably not though. Good luck to everybody. Forest, Huddersfield, Port Vale and Mansfield in those finals. Do enjoy them, listener, and join us again on Monday when we'll talk through them all. Many thanks for your company today and to Adrian, to Sam, to Abby and to David Priest too. We'll catch up with you next week. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an athletic media company production. The Athletic.